big shout out goes to you, the listener. The author and I want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for sharing this content out because of its importance in bringing awareness to mental health illnesses. Thank you so much. And without further ado, the final episode of Crazy Diamond. Crazy Diamond is based on the life of a woman living with bipolar disorder one. It reflects her experiences with this mental disorder. The writer of this story has given me full access to share in hopes that it reaches those who need help and to bring awareness to the disorder. The writer wishes to remain anonymous. The content in Crazy Diamond may be triggering and we recommend the assistance of a medical professional for help and diagnosis. If you or anyone you may know is thinking about suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273-8255. Dr. Navarra called me into his office as soon as I was done with my vitals on the morning of my seventh day. I sat in the familiar chair before his desk and waited for him to speak. Edith, how do you feel at this moment about your being a seer, or someone who can visit another dimension? He asked me readying his fingers over the keyboard of his laptop. I know that I'm not a seer. I know that all of what I thought before I came here was a delusion. I know that I'm just a regular person and I have bipolar disorder that caused me to have hallucinations and to believe fantastical things. I feel like now I know true reality, I told him, and I was being honest. I just wished I'd known what I was saying before I had been committed. Navarra sat calmly in his chair typing. Then he stopped and looked up at me and stared for a minute. Edith, how would you feel if I told you that you could go home today? He asked. I was completely taken aback. I had expected three to four more days in this place like he'd told me I'd have the last time I saw him. How could this be? I opened my mouth to speak, but nothing came out and I just stared at him, gaping. I feel that you're ready for release. Barbara says you seemed very coherent in group yesterday, and you've attended your AA meetings regularly. We will keep you on this medication, and I think you will be fine as long as you continue to take it every day. What do you think, Edith? Would you like me to release you today? Yes, I almost screamed at him. But I kept my voice calm for fear that I would change his mind. Yes, I would like that, if you think I'm ready. After some paperwork and processing, you'll probably be out of here by this afternoon, as long as you have someone to pick you up, he told me. I knew my mom would come as soon as I called her. I just wasn't sure if she would be as excited as I felt right now. I felt like I scared her, but... I knew it was going to take time no matter how long I stayed here for her to finally trust that I was indeed well and stable. Okay, I guess I'll start getting my things ready, I said, and he smiled and motioned to the door. It was good to meet you, Edith. I'm sorry it had to be under these circumstances, but I'm glad we've been able to help you. I nodded and opened the door. Thank you so much. For everything, I said, 
and I walked out and into the lunch area where I sat with Vera and Candace. I started digging into my breakfast. I ate as much as I could so I could think before speaking to the two of them about what the doctor had just told me. I was leaving them, and for some reason I felt a sudden extreme sadness and loss. So, what did Navara have to say today, Tink? Farah asked. She was better than she'd been the day before, after Abner had left without a word to her. It seemed she had processed it and even seemed somewhat happy now. Candace awaited my response with anticipation, smiling after taking a large bite of toast. I'm leaving today. He said I'm ready to go and he's decided not to wait any longer, I said, setting my empty tray aside. Farah's eyes became cloudy and she looked down and then back up at me as if she didn't know what to say. She finally smiled weakly. That's wonderful. You must be so happy to be getting out of here, she said. But she looked sad and empty. It was the way she looked when she was told Abner was gone. I'm so happy for you, Edie. You deserve this, and you're going to go on to do great things, Candace told me with an even wider smile than she'd had before. I knew good things were about to come your way. You're getting out. That's something to be celebrated. You're leaving? Just then I heard Claude's voice behind me, and I turned as she sat in the chair next to me. She wrapped her arm around me way too tightly and began to sob. My best friend, you have to write down your phone number for me so I can call you when I get out of here too. We have to hang out and see each other. You know that, right? She was leaning her head against my shoulder, and I could feel her tears wetting my pajama shirt. Yes, Ferris said suddenly, as if she had just woken from a trance. You must write down your contact information for me so I can keep in touch with you, she told me. Yes, I'd like your email if you have one, said Candace. And then I looked over and saw Alfonso a few seats down listening. He walked over with his red notebook and sat it down in the center of us. You can use this to write your information on, he said, winking at me. Claude stopped sobbing abruptly and sat straight in her chair staring at him as he stood over us. You can just rip out the pages to give to one another. I don't mind. He then walked back down to his seat and continued eating. I wrote down my phone number and Facebook profile name for Farah, my email for Candace, and a fake number for Claude. I was thankful she hadn't paid attention to the first notes I'd made for the others, and yes... I did feel bad about what I was doing, but I couldn't have her calling me. I couldn't have her in my life. She wasn't well yet, and I could see it in her eyes and, of course, her every action. I may have been desperate for friends, but I wasn't desperate to become codependent with someone who was still out of touch with reality. When I was done, Candace handed the notebook back to Alfonso. He looked at me and then tilted his head to the side as if to ask me to come over to him. I got up, walked over, and sat next to him even though I felt somewhat uncomfortable. I want your contact info too, he said. I'll give you my Twitter account and you can give me your phone number. I sat in silence for a moment and then I finally sighed. (sighs) Alfonso, I'm not going to give you any of my information, I said finally scooting back in my chair and standing. 
I hope you get well. I started walking away, but not before I saw his mouth drop and his eyes burn into me like hot coals. I walked into the lounge room because I needed some peace, and I saw Louise sleeping on the couch and Karen reading an old people magazine. I sat in the bed we'd made for me, and I ripped the piece of paper with my name on it off of the arm of the lounge chair. Then I pushed the other one I'd had my feet on away from me. Karen looked up. What are you doing? Now someone will take those seats, she said as she watched me crumple the paper with my name on it in the palm of my hand. I'm leaving, I told her, and her eyes widened in surprise. You're leaving today? That's great, Edie, she exclaimed, forgetting the magazine and letting it fall into her lap as she clapped her hands together. I was touched by her excitement, but I also just wanted to be alone. I told her I was going to start packing my things, and I got up and left the lounge and went down the hallway to my room. I collapsed on the bed and felt tears welling up in my eyes. Why was I so upset about leaving? Wasn't this all I had wanted since the day I'd been brought here? It should have been a wonderful surprise, but instead it was bittersweet. I was being discharged and that was good, yes, but I was also leaving a sort of family behind. What if the people I'd met in here were the only ones who would ever understand me or show me any kind of sympathy for what I'd done? The world seemed scary without them all of a sudden, and I laid face down and screamed into my pillow. After I had finished crying, I got up and began packing my things in a bag that had been left on my bed by one of the nurses. I shoved Jacob Have I Loved into the bag. I had finished reading it, but I felt like its character was a part of me now, and I wanted to take her with me. I packed up the random items of my clothing my mom had brought for me, and just as I was finishing up, a nurse popped her head into my doorway. I've brought you some shoes your mom dropped off when she visited. Since you're being released today, we can give them to you, she said sweetly, lying the flats on my bed beside the packed bag. I thanked her, and when she left, I put the shoes on. I was dressed in a pajama top with gray leggings, and I looked like shit. All I could think was how much I wanted to smoke a cigarette as soon as I walked outside of the hospital. I left my bag sitting on my bed and walked down the hallway where I saw Candace and Farah seated in the music room. I entered and sat down on one of the couches next to Farah. Candace was looking out the window and humming along to Fleetwood Mac on the radio. I reached for Farah's hand and she grasped it in hers and squeezed. You're going to get out of here, I said, and I could see her eyes becoming glassy. You have to walk out into the world and just be in it no matter how scared you are. You have to just take that first step, and you can do it. She didn't say anything, but continued holding my hand for a while. Then she slowly let go when Nurse David entered the room. Edith, it's time for you to call your ride. You'll be out of here within the next couple hours. You'll have to talk to a discharge counselor before you go so they can go over your treatment plan, but then you'll be free to leave with whomever is picking you up, he said with this happiness surrounding his entire face. I felt bad about being angry with him when I'd first come here, because I could see now that he was genuinely glad for me to be recovering and to be getting out of here. I smiled and nodded at him, and he walked away, 
I stood up just as Candace came over and sat on the couch opposite Farah. Don't forget to say goodbye, she said, and I could see that she too felt the loss that I did. I would never forget, I told her, and I got up and went out into the lunch area to where the phones were and dialed my mother's cell phone. I told her I was being discharged and she was quiet for a moment. Then she said she'd be there as soon as she could. I knew she was hesitant for me to come home, and I was surprised she hadn't had a thousand questions about why they weren't keeping me longer. But I knew deep down that she wanted me back more than anything. She just wanted me back and healthy this time. And I was. I would show her. I spent my last few hours in Hillview, walking up and down the halls and watching everyone. I watched Claude talk Alfonso's ear off at one of the lunch tables. I looked in the music room and watched Farah stare blankly ahead as Candace talked. I watched some patients gather in the lounge for group, and I watched myself every time I passed that glass window at the end of the hallway that I'd first seen with Abner and Claude the night of my hallucination. I kept watching until my mother showed up, and we were ushered into a room where a counselor stood and greeted us. I'm Gerald, he said to us. I'm just here to let you know we'll be calling in Edith's medication to the pharmacy, and we'll be setting her up with Hillview Outpatient Services so that she can see a psychiatrist and keep up with her medication as directed. Edith, congratulations on being discharged and moving forward into recovery. Just remember to never stop your medicine unless the doctor we set you up with advises so. And make sure you get in touch with a counselor as well to help you process your journey while you're on the road to remission. My mother listened intently, but I tuned out most of what he was saying. I was more focused on his open office door and the people I saw waiting outside it. When he was done and we'd signed the discharge papers, I tried to stifle the urge to run out of his office, but I did it anyway and I wrapped myself up in Farrah's arms. She'd been standing outside, waiting to say goodbye this whole time, and I cried not because we were parting ways, but because I wanted her to be alright, and I wanted Candace to live, and I wanted Karen to move on. I cried, and I cried, and Farrah just held me as she sobbed too. You are one of the best people I know, I told her. Don't ever doubt yourself. You're a beautiful girl, and you're going to get through all of this. Look how far you've come already. It's all uphill from here, she told me, at last releasing me from her embrace. Candace walked up to me next and cupped my face in her hands. You are capable of so much more than you think. You are strong and you will be okay, she told me. And I cried again for the mother in her that I wished was my own. Claude came last and hugged me and wailed dramatically. I finally was able to loosen my grip with her and move away entirely. One of the nurses handed me my bag of belongings, and I began walking down the hallway to the door that had trapped me inside these walls for seven days. Farah and Candace watched me the whole way, their eyes never straying. Nurse David was the one who led us to the door, and when he unlocked it, I felt my entire soul being released. Good luck to you, he said, and we walked out and down the stairs, which led to an elevator. When we got inside, my mom sighed and leaned against the wall. 
Are you sure you're ready? She asked me, and I could see the pain and worry in her eyes. I'm ready, I told her, and I was. I can't tell you I haven't struggled with my mental illness over the almost three years since I was committed to Hillview. I've been on different medications and I've had to find which ones work and don't work. I've gone through bouts of mania and I've struggled with depression and anxiety, but the moods always level out because I do what I need to do to make sure that the psychosis which overtook me in the past never rears its ugly head again. I'm in remission now, and I don't know how long that will last to tell you the truth. But I can tell you that I am me again. I am back in reality, and I will keep on fighting every single day to make sure that my mind never strays again. I can tell you that it does get better, and that all you have to do is take the hand that's offered when it comes to getting help. I will never forget the people I met in Hillview. I still talk to Farah from time to time, and I email Candace when I can. Farah ended up finally being able to leave her house, and Candace surrounded herself with friends who support her and are there for her when she feels herself getting down. I talked with Abner for a little while after finding him on social media, but we've since lost touch. I don't know what happened to Alfonso, Karen, Luis, or even Raziel. All I know is that everyone in that place changed my life, and now I'm here, and I can finally live the life I was meant to live. And now a note from the author. I wrote this story in hopes that it would give people suffering from the same issues the initiative to seek help. The whole process of writing this experience of mine was extremely painful for me to do. But I did it so that I could bring awareness to Bipolar Disorder 1 and what this mental illness is capable of if left untreated. It is my sincere hope that this podcast will erase some of the stigma surrounding Bipolar Disorder 1 because so many people who have this illness are afraid to talk about it or are embarrassed by it. It is so important for those who suffer from this illness to receive professional help and to take the correct medication or medications so that their quality of life can be improved. Please, if you think you are suffering from bipolar disorder or you believe someone you know is, seek help and don't wait until it's too late. If you know you have this illness and you are taking medication, stay on that medicine and know that it is so important to never stop taking your medication, even if you begin to feel like you're better. The sad truth in all of this is that those who suffer from this mental illness will suffer from it throughout their entire lives. But the silver lining in that fact is that the doctors and medications can lessen our symptoms and keep us in the reality that I so drastically lost touch with. I hope this story somehow touches every listener and that it brings at least one person who listens some kind of peace to know that he or she is not alone in their past or present suffering. Thank you for listening to my story.